The Land Bulletin Podcast is sponsored by The Land Report, the magazine of the American landowner. Be sure to visit LandReport.com and subscribe to their newsletter to receive the latest news and updates. Welcome to the Land Bulletin Podcast, where we discuss a wide range of topics impacting landowners, ranchers, and future land buyers. I'm your host, Haley Murr. Today, we will continue our conversation with Murr Ranch Group founder Ken Murr and the editor of The Land Report, Eric O'Keefe, to discuss the different monetization strategies of the nation's leading landowners. In part two of our two-part series, Ken and Eric discuss a new wave of income-generating practices they are seeing in the field. Let's see what we discovered. Beyond kind of this experiential uh, adventuring that we've been talking about, another thing that you brought up, Eric, that you've seen a couple different ranchers doing is kind of this idea of branding and the strategy of branding and the income that you can produce from that. What are some of ex- examples of ranchers that have done that that you've seen? I think, you know, probably the, the best known example is the alliance that King Ranch did with Ford mm-hmm. when they created the Ford F-150 King Ranch edition. And uh, that goes back over 20 years now. And it's interestingly enough, when you look at it closely, you're looking at two pioneering families, you know, the, the King Ranch family and the Ford family. And so there was a tie there. And I'm not at all surprised. Uh, just last month, I was in Kingsville. I was at King Ranch and they have now finished creating and are debuting a Old Forester King Ranch Edition Bourbon. So again, you're going to the Brown Foreman family, which was the first family to actually bottle bourbon in 1870. And here's King Ranch, which was founded in 1853, putting together a branded product that uses King Ranch mesquite that's been turned into charcoal to finish that bourbon. Wow. And so it was actually <laughs> created their whiskey. I love this this job description, Ken. Think about it your next time around. Yeah. Whiskey, whiskey innovator, okay? <laughs> and uh, a whiskey specialist uh, who came to the ranch and actually uh, studied and worked with the ranch because when you're operating at that level as they do at King Ranch, where they meticulously... Uh, they do these censuses on wildlife, uh, on obviously brush and brush control. They actually know when the mesquite there has been cleared. And so they determined, and I thought this was a fascinating element to the entire story. They determined that the ideal age for the mesquite that they wanted to use for charcoal was about seven years, that it had been aging for seven years. And you think about that in terms of the resources necessary, the opportunity that's created by using something that was, in many people's uh, perspectives, something that was a waste product. And it's actually a natural product that ends up fulfilling and adding all these dimensions to a great brand. And so uh, King Ranch and uh, Brown Foreman have created this product that will be uh, available as of November 1st. And they've wisely, I I thought this was brilliant marketing, they've only limited it to availability in the Texas market where, you know, you're going to have this 
pent up demand for another King Ranch product. King Ranch has its saddle shops in most of the major metropolitan areas in Texas. It obviously has great, you know, brand recognition and awareness. And so to be able to do that with this bourbon uh, just makes fantastic sense. It's going to be another great. And by the way, I can confirm I uh, <laughs> I did a, an initial ta- taste test, but I was scrupulous and maintained uh, <laughs> back for seconds and perhaps even more to prove for my readers. <laughs> and, uh, it's it's uh, it's a great great glass. So selfless to go back. Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't know if you're on the red wine side or the bourbon side. I, I, you know, so I, they I, work I, well I, together. <laughs> Not at the yeah, same time. Do. That's a, that's <laughs> good pairing on a great piece of property. Okay. <laughs> well, the, the King Ranch too. I I just know that little the brand. Okay. I mean, mm-hmm. you've seen it enough that it's actually embedded here in my head it's you know it's not a krr you just look at it you go oh that's a unique brand too mm-hmm. yes when you see that running w and the funny thing yeah. is you'll see it in boston you'll see it in you know the berkshires you'll mm-hmm. obviously you see it all across the american west because it is an upscale version primarily of the pickup truck but they've obviously uh, got the king ranch edition in expeditions and they've wisely jumped into the explorer market and have done mm-hmm. well there as well yeah. Well, now, now that's the big scale. That's like, okay, now you guys can have a ranch forever, right? But, you know, there's new, but there's new opportunities that you can do with newer properties, I'm assuming, that, that play off of that whole concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, def- there definitely is. I look at Taylor Sheridan's acquisition mm-hmm. of the Four Sixes and the branding that they are going through in terms of expanding the reach the Four Sixes is on its way to become one of the best known brands in the United States, thanks to Taylor's success with uh, Yellowstone, with Four Sixes, with 1883, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Uh, 1923. Uh, these will come out and uh, reinforce and drive people back to uh, foursixes.com, which mm-hmm. has gone from a uh, small country supply store, uh, which, you know, I used to pop in and see in Guthrie, Texas. And I mean, literally you had, uh, some apparel, you had, uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, different gifts and giftables. And now it's a complete one-stop shop from, you know, men and women's apparel, gifts, boots. Uh, I mean, it has really extended and increased its reach. And I feel like, You've got to create the experience. And that's what, you know, Taylor's done with Four Sixes and with Yellowstone. And I think other ranch owners, other property owners, other landowners can do it in their own way. It doesn't have to, you know, be a a national brand, but you have to create that experience. And, And Haley, I think that ties back into what we were talking about, which is, you know, enjoying a unique setting, enjoying some hospitality, some activities, and that can turn into that branded beef, that Mm -hmm. bottle of wine, that something that ties into another local product, whatever it might be. And it becomes that revenue stream, which was completely unanticipated uh, when you ran that operation as a a strict cattle operation or, uh, you know, row crops or whatever it might be. Well, it's interesting. It's like you almost get a following of stewards that care about your ranch 
just as much as you do because you create kind of this dialogue and this narrative just by like creating this brand that people care about and and believe in. So it's it's neat that, you know, King Ranch is obviously the one you look up to, but there are a lot of smaller, you know, ranch lands, the Flying Diamond that we talked about a little bit earlier, Lone Tree, like they all have these brands that if you know them and you see them, you recognize it and you care about it and you believe in it. So yeah, you just know what they're doing. You know what they're doing on the ground. Um, people the heck don't even know where the cow, you know, beef comes from sometimes. And, you know, I think there's a little backlash to the large processed plants these days. And, you know, I, I hope that more and more people can have this opportunity to create their own brands on their, on their beef products and other things. I think that's the way it's going. And I hope it does, you know, the whole local culture. I I second your point about, uh, I mean, one thing that the pandemic has taught us is that uh, people are looking for solutions in terms of uh, being able to uh, buy experience and access. And uh, and so I think uh, effective marketing comes down to offering that unique experience at whatever price point that uh, the market bears and that you can afford. And, uh, and I think you're seeing more, more of that. Colorado, of course, is one of those states where people have been um, enjoying and accessing properties now for, you know, I mean, look at Chautauqua, I mean, mm. you know, for century. And uh, so to see that expanded upon and develop into additional revenue streams just is a, is a natural progression. Mm-hmm. And another t- uh, typical revenue stream that's happening more and more are more of these like stewardship incentivized uh, income streams. So, you know, we talk about carbon sequestration, regenerative regenerative ag, which we've talked about in a couple live streams, another type of banking. But I guess we'll start first. I know you had a great example of carbon sequestration that is happening effectively at the May Ranch, Eric. I was very impressed with the story of, uh, of the May Ranch in southeastern Colorado, which is a traditional cow-calf operation. Uh, Ken, you know the patriarch of the family. You know several family members. Oh, yeah, I did. And I was out there early. I was out there even before they bought the ranch and had studied it a bit. Great people. And uh, they really, they jumped in wholeheartedly to that effort. And they they figured out, you know, obviously they run their uh their cattle operation from a traditional standpoint uh, but they actually have some really strict standards as far as what they will allow their cattle in terms of uh, how they're doctored how they're treated things like that but then they they went way beyond that in terms of uh, getting carbon sequestration credits from ducks unlimited from getting um the Nature Conservancy has worked with them on a conservation easement. The Autobahn Society has worked with them as far as being a favored nation for bird watching. And uh, I just feel like, you know, that sort of outside the box thinking is now paying off in 2022. Whereas if you had tried to do that uh, just two decades ago, um, there w- those revenue streams wouldn't have been available. Mm-hmm. You know, I did, I did read, uh, uh, even the King Ranch Institute came out with a publication, Should I Sell Carbon Credits? So uh, take a look at that. Shout out to King Ranch for producing that. 
Uh, but Billy, uh, with, with Ducks Unlimited out there, is doing a heck of a job. And you're going, like, Ducks Unlimited carbon sequestration? Well, they're kind of matching all this. And, you know, and then, of course, the, there's bird habitat out there. But that wasn't – he, he is just uncovering how to do this and advising people. So, you know, if you find the people who can provide that right advice and how you get there. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm sitting on a board right now with the Cattlemen's Agricultural Land Trust, and I'm on what's called the Additive Conservation Committee. And that's about it. It's like, okay, yeah, well, everybody knows about conservation easements and some people like them, some don't. I understand, uh, you know, the story there and why people choose or not choose. But, you know, there are additive elements on top of easements that can be done. And, and part of it's the carbon sequestration. There's wetland uh, mitigation banking. There's habitat banks. Mm-hmm. There, there's becoming more and more of these uh, opportunities to help fund, which can be utilized to help maybe an offset and cost on the ranch itself. So maybe it's not all just monetization from standpoint, putting money in your pocket, but it's money in your pocket to help pay for other things that you wouldn't have, have you know, the, the ability to do. And I even know the infrastructure bill is now some of that funding is going to allocation for improvements on ranches. Uh, however you feel politically on that, there, there's funding now, a lot more funding available for ranchers in that, you know, specific area. So mm-hmm. um, we're trying to, you know, provide more and more of the what's, what's available. People just don't know sometimes. Now, it, you know, it depends where you are too on the spectrum. If you make too much money, some of that funding you can't obtain, but uh, some of it you can. And beyond that, you still have the regenerative agriculture and how you can do some of that. And that enhances and improves, um, you know, overall production and viability of your ranch. We did a big, you know, recent deal on the BX ranch, for instance, mm-hmm. where, you know, they tripled the size of the herd uh, because of sound grazing management practices that don't hurt the soil, don't, you know, don't diminish, you know, the grasses and, and help to, you know, so there are things that you can do that will additionally to all these other things help monetize and help increase capacity. Was that rotational grazing? What did they do to be able to triple? Essentially, yes. So it's rotational cell grazing management. And the way they set these things up with the fences and, you know, a lot of it has to do with the water infrastructure. So Mm -hmm. you don't have, you know, in the past, right, some of those open grazing allotments, you know, the cattle would prefer one particular area and would overgraze some and never touch the other. So now the whole idea is to graze them and make sure they eat most of the forage and then ground it. And, and, you know, there's a whole science to it. I, I'm not going to proclaim I'm a scientist <laughs> on here, but, but the idea of a short term, but mob kind of grazing, but then having that access to water. So they don't have to go miles afoot right. to do that, mm-hmm. centralize that facility and the infrastructure. And it works. And BX put in the infrastructure. They had shared funding to do some of that. That is monetization in my my view. You are oh, increasing yeah. capacity by doing sound management. I know one of the ranches we worked on, the Cottonwood Ranch up in Wyoming, uh, they did something a little differently too with the Colorado River Basin and allowing water to to flow through their head gates at times where they weren't using it and getting some income from that from the state. I don't know if that's... Or feds. Well, it, that was, uh, you know, that's a response to the drought. Mm-hmm. And uh, that program benefited the Cottonwood Ranch in Wyoming, as well as another ranch, the Porcupine Ranch that we uh, represented in Route County. And there's other places, of course. And then that was dismantled. But after all, what's happening, you can't just pick up a paper now and read about 
some, you know, drought impact of the Colorado River Basin, that whole program is coming back. You know, if you voluntarily fallow some fields or reduce some of the uh, watering for, you know, practices on that and you allow more water to go down the river, you're going to get paid for that. And it's a pretty handsome, you know, and the compensation has changed over time, but that's something to look at. And I think that's a, that's a program that uh, they're going to try again and, and see how it works. Uh, it's being funded by the upper and lower basin states, especially as it relates to the Colorado River Basin. But I could see that happening to other potential river basins. But, you know, that one is so highly publicized and it serves so many people in so many states that but mm-hmm. it's a big program and, and, and it's legit. And, you know, it's, let's face it, there's, there's, there's a certain quantity of water and everybody has the right to, you know, own this water, but certainly the practices in the past and the water laws of the past don't necessarily coincide with what demands are presently and the availability of the water that's there now. Mm-hmm. So it's an issue. Yeah. So it's just another, I mean, it's just another way to create income off of what your land already has, what water rights you already own. And I, I know we've talked a lot about the different strategies that are out there now. Eric, are you? Are there any projects that you've heard on the horizon or things that we haven't talked about yet that you're excited about? I know you mentioned the book and uh, the, the ranch that's doing more of the vineyard work. Maybe to this point, um, again, staying on um, the grape growing, one of the things I think is, is uh, fascinating is changing perceptions and uh, the opportunities that are coming across that way. And that's, Ken, what you were bringing up as far as the Colorado River Basin and the fact that municipalities and states are starting to put a, an emphasis on uh, where water comes from, essentially, and a lot of it comes from private property. But I feel, uh, again, to that point, um, in the South Plains of Texas, which has been uh, cotton country for, for centuries now, the lack of water, the lack of consistent rainfall, and also the decreasing levels of the Ogallala Aquifer are leading to shifts in production there from uh, irrigated cotton ground. Uh, now you're looking at more drip wine grapes being grown, requiring less and able and obviously uh, less intensive from a labor standpoint. I think these shifts and the fact that we're starting to become more and more nimble. And I also feel, Haley, to your point that, um, you know, the better understanding, and I'm throwing a big loop here, uh, so don't call me on it, okay? (laughs) But I think, you know, the better understanding of uh, data, uh, AI, Mm -hmm. the ability to look at large amounts of data and determine what would be a better land use mm-hmm. based on that. I think it's going to completely transform some of the traditional land uses that we've seen for generations into more profitable. And ultimately what we're, we're facing is more sustainable practices. And, yeah. and that's, again, since, you know, we tell the story of American landowners what we're interested in is how these families, how these multi-generational families can continue to keep a property or a series of properties uh, vibrant, effective, and profitable. And so being able to pivot that way is going to be an increasingly uh, profound opportunity for landowners coming up. 
I was on, I was then Picosa Springs not too long ago and it was a tour with Cattlemen's Land Trust, but you know, we were on uh, different ranches and the Linder family who's done just amazing things and protecting some of their landscapes down there. But then we were, you know, also visiting some of the, you know, local ranchers and a great family who they work with easements and the income, you know, certainly from the, the state income tax credit that they receive in Colorado, you know, for that purpose. And then they're hunting and they're guiding their own hunters. Um, and, and she's even paid for her own, you know, basically with the fencing issue in, in those mountainous areas down there. And they're going to those uh, basically I call it electric fence for cows, you know. But uh, they're utilizing that and she's paying it for herself and installed these towers. And she's talking how she knows how many cows are where and where they're grazing. All that tech is going to be helping some of this in the future. And I, and I, I find you're right. Data tech is going to change some of this and how we and, and the practices and the types of things that are grown. Will it always be alfalfa, which uses right. a lot of water, for instance, mm -hmm. or it'll be some other types of, of forage that may not have to use as much water, but may still be able to develop, you know, a good, still strong income source. I don't know what those those results will be, but that's kind of what I see too. Tech will 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 make an impact, and it's all very exciting, and it's it's cool to see how human ingenuity and seeing kind of where the the market is going and where the need is, how that has kind of influenced how some of these ranchers are now creating income. Um, so it's really neat to see. And it, it gives me hope for the future. And I'm excited to just, you know, visit the reserve one day with you, Eric, and have oh, a, be a glass of that whiskey you were talking, or that bourbon you were talking about. On the King Ranch. Yeah. 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 <laughs> awesome. And, uh, but yeah, I really, we really appreciate, you've been a, a long-term friend of not just my ranch group, but to Ken and I. So we appreciate you coming on and joining us today. So glad to, so glad to see what you guys are doing throughout the uh, Intermountain West and to follow in your slipstream. <laughs> I love well, that. Sorry I missed you in Dallas last time too. Uh, so Yeah, listen, that was great. I'm glad you guys made it in for uh, homecoming and, um, a 40 year college reunion, man. I'm just like, I don't know where the gray hairs are, but anyways, it's good. It's all good. Well, thank you again, Eric. We really appreciate it. Um, yeah, thanks, and Eric. we look forward to everything that the land report does in the future. So thank thanks you. so much. Glad to be on. Yeah, board. And your newsletter. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, thanks guys. We'll talk to you all soon, Eric. Bye welcome. Ken. Bye all. And thank you all for joining us today. As Ken briefly mentioned, um, the Land Report has an awesome newsletter, newsletter. So be sure that you subscribe for their newsletter because it comes out with a lot of stories, not of just existing ranches, um, but just stories of the landowner and uh, things that help the future stewards of the West. Uh, and if you want to learn more about Murr Ranch Group, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter on our website at www.murrranchgroup.com or give us a call at 303-623-4545. Thanks all for tuning in. See you next time. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Haley Murr, and I made the episode with the help of Bill Boyce of Boyce Collective. Big shout outs to the founder of Murr Ranch Group, Ken Murr, and our special guest, Eric O'Keefe. For more information on the ranch real estate market and other topics relating to ranch ownership, be sure to visit our website, murrranchgroup.com, and subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening to the Land Bulletin Podcast. See you next time.